2: Right now and fast, NVIDIA's A800 problem, the semiconductor giant facing a potential ban on exports of a key AI chip. How much could it impact the company, and why are lobsters getting caught up in all this drama? Plus, is it time to bet on the banks? Major financials releasing their latest round of stress test results, the first since the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, but should the reports give investors confidence? In the speed and down sector. We'll debate that. And later, a Pinterest pop, Netflix streams higher, and all eyes on Nike earnings, the fast moving stocks on our radar tonight. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the NASDAQ Market Site. On the desk tonight Karen Feinerman, Courtney Garcia, Steve Grasso, and Tim Seymour. And we start off with an earnings alert on Micron. Shares are popping after the chipmaker topped fiscal Q3 revenue expectations and said it is seeing a recovery in its supply demand balance. But the CEO, wasted no time in addressing the headlines that weighed on chip stocks all day, the potential new restrictions on Chinese exports
0: of AI chips. Christina Parks and has been following both stories all day long. Christina, what's the latest? Well, the call is still underway right now. The CEO touting a recovery, saying improved customer inventories are helping drive higher demand and product are actually helping reduce excess supply. He believes, quote, the industry has passed the bottom for both quarterly revenue and year-over-year revenue growth and sees pricing trends improve. So that key word there was bottom. The market liking the lower inventory write down and the reiteration of full year. Our fiscal year 2023 CapEx at $7 billion. So those are two uh, positives as well. The overhang, though, is the Chinese ban on several of its memory chips. The situation is still, quote, uncertain and fluid. With a quarter of Micron's worldwide revenue exposed to China, Micron reiterated that a low double-digit percentage of total revenue is at risk of being impacted, slowing down the chip maker's recovery, which is just a portion of the quote you're seeing on your screen right there. But Micron is the latest front in the U.S.-China trade war. I say that because there was an earlier report today suggesting the U.S. is considering tightening U.S. AI chip exports to China. NVIDIA's CFO downplaying the restrictions, saying there would be no immediate material impact to financial results. The bullish narrative, though, still intact on Wall Street with the stock coming off earlier lows from this morning. Melissa? All right, Christina, thanks.
2: Christina Parts Nebel is tracking the chip trade in today's session. Um, you know, I saw the report this morning. You would think that that NVIDIA, For all the talk of it being overvalued or a high valuation, you would think that more would have come off of that stock, Karen, and it didn't. Yeah, well, there was
3: that very, very bullish report. out. It was a, uh, you know, (laughs) that this is sort of a you have to be in this space now. This is the greatest growth thing ever. So I don't know what that would have been good for on the upside in an isolated market. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I mean, you would think this would have prompted a pretty significant sell off, and it really didn't. And I, I don't know if it's because we don't exactly know what it's going to be. It's coming in July. It's still sort of vague. It could change. Who knows? I think that uh, it, it wasn't enough to burst
2: the very excited AI bubble that we're Yeah, I mean, this is this like a bad news, good price action.
1: So, yeah, totally. But you have to look at it this way. The AI, I think, I think to your point, we don't know what's really going to happen. You don't know how it's going to really filter through to the actual business. So is it 25 percent of the business or is it really 15? They say it's 25. But in Micron's, in Micron's case, it's basically 11 percent. But they keep throwing out that 25 percent of and global is it revenue, revenue
3: or is it profitability? Right. Right.
1: So we don't know until we know. And to Karen's point, it might never happen. There's a lot of political jockeying here, so we don't know what, what the case is truly going to be. I think the biggest takeaway is we went from a drought to a glut mm-hmm. to a boom with AI.
2: But every single night, not every night, almost every night, we talk about the tensions between the U.S. and China, tensions, tensions, getting worse, getting worse, getting worse. There's going to be some, you know, there has to be sort of some sort of a discount built into any company doing business in China. And yet here we're saying, you know what, it may never happen for this, so we're going to overlook it in the chip space. That doesn't make any sense to me, Courtney.
4: Yeah, and I think that's why people are really, you're saying that they are much more putting a lot of credence on the fact that,
2: They're at the forefront of artificial
4: intelligence, and people really think this is going to be the next greatest thing, which it very well could be, um, but they see that the, the upside there is a lot greater than the downside of the risk in China, and that's essentially what's getting priced in right now. I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, we've been talking about how expensive these things are getting, regardless of what's happening with AI. But clearly, the excitement is there. This isn't bringing it down. And I think, I think you're going to continue to see this, some of that momentum. Just before sure. we
1: grab, grab Tim into this, there to, to Courtney's point, there are 85 to 90 percent of the market in AI. So if China gets taken out, we don't even know where the rest of the market is without China. And, and who's going to take China's spot? Is it India? Is it some other geopolitical area? it's we, we don't in know terms a lot of buying up the chips in, in, in terms of buying up the chips but it's their percent to lose right now if you want ai chips you go to nvidia <clears throat> so someone will fill that vacuum and that's what the market's doing they're saying NVIDIA, if you're going to bet on a horse, NVIDIA's got 85 to 90% of the marketplace. I'd rather be with that player than someone who has an incremental part of the marketplace.
2: I think what is kind of shocking is, that, you know, NVIDIA's huge rise is built on this enormous uh, forecast raise, right, in the last quarter, Tim. And here we have news yep. that puts a little bit of a dent in that forecast in theory, one would think. That, that's the logical extension of this news. And yet there is practically no reaction in the stock.
5: Well, they, they they've indicated they have multi-quarter visibility now, and does mm-hmm. this affect it? Uh, as Steve's pointing out, they've also been quick to point out. Right now, um, they said it today. Uh, you know, we we see demand elsewhere. We have no issue filling that demand. So I think that that multi-quarter demand is is clearly there, and and, and I guess. It, you know it's it's a fascinating time I, I I know we should not be discounting these headlines out of us China um, especially over the last couple of weeks when we've only talked about the true geopolitics uh, heating up uh, the strategic and national champion companies over there uh, strategic industries here this is what happens and and this is what's continuing to to happen the the micron, Announcement um, today, uh, I think, should tell you what you need to know. They said this is a significant headwind and it clouds their outlook. Um, even though there's there was some great stuff in there for Micron, including talking about how the demand for for memory out of AI servers is also really great for them, and they're starting to see that flow through. They're also really talking about a pricing trough. so so Micron as a stock, which has underperformed the semis, is, is I, I think in an interesting place even with these China headwinds but um, and, and frankly, I think it's actually performed very well given those headwinds.
2: Karen, how do you think about I mean maybe this underscores a notion that you have put forth before that you know, that forecast, what was it, $11 billion? Mm-hmm. That's lowballing. I think so. Because yeah. if, they, if they're saying that this is going to be really not an event, right. then that tells you that there was upside here embedded in this forecast.
3: Well, also it makes you wonder, if, if, they're, if they're no longer comfortable with that number, wouldn't this be an opportunity to say so, right? right. Sort of a little bit of a draft behind this this mm-hmm. potential headwind, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be bigger than that. As I said, if you're, you know, you're, you're, why would you put out 11 If you're at 10 and change and hoping to get there, you wouldn't. You'd put out 11 because it's such a gigantic number. They could have put out anything.
2: 11 and a half or 12 or whatever it is. Right. On the upside. Sticking to that. Yeah. Or is this whole thing, is this whole sort of situation really a tell on this market that there's just a real desire to go where where the quote unquote growth is going to be in spite of some, you know, I don't know, unknowns on the horizon. I think if you
1: have BlackRock saying that this is the the next greatest moment for the market, paraphrasing, they had a a, a lot more specific term on that. But this is, to to your point, we've already dealt with, we've expanded out on those large cap tech names. Where are you going for growth? You have to go to tech. Where are you going within tech? You have to go to AI. And then on the peripheral, you have Apple sort of in that updraft that hasn't really spoken a lot about A.I. yet and is getting a lot of benefit from A.I. environment, so to speak.
2: Right. And we add, of course, uh, Jerome Powell today speaking in, in Portugal with all the other central bankers who are all largely hawkish. I mean, Powell really reaffirming what he had said before, that there could be at least two more. He didn't take off the table two consecutive. It could be every other. It could be two consecutive. But, Tim, did we really learn anything new from this, do you think? Or does this just underscore the notion that the Fed's in the fight still and they're not going to relent?
5: Well, the, the bond market didn't learn anything new. The, the Fed yeah. funds markets definitely didn't learn anything new. We priced in, we're at 532 year end on Fed funds. Um, we we essentially have 25 bps priced in. We were there uh, a week ago. We're not surprised to hear Powell continued to put his... his uh, uh, his emphasis on where we're gonna go again at some point so um, I, I i look at where yields are and we've talked about this and it was even came up last night on a show where some key levels to watch on the ten-year and where where you start to see uh, i think a breakout to the upside at some point equities wouldn't like that uh... the market is kinda of banking on sideways yields here and, and a fed that's you know largely at peak and twenty five or even fifty basis points probably doesn't really affect it's the how much longer the fed holds holds ground here but not surprised to hear central banks reiterating what they have to do right now because of course cpi is still stuck at 5.3 and not moving
4: yeah and i think too what you're seeing right now is people are are, they're discounting the news coming out in china they're also discounting what the fed says they're going to do i mean the markets are not reacting to this and i think this goes back to when they said we're not even thinking about thinking about raising interest rates and now we're 500 basis points higher i think people are starting to call their bluff because they're starting to see inflation coming down and that's what you're seeing there and I think on the AI side, one thing that this does bring into the markets right now is this is a, a, a something that could bring productivity levels in the U.S. or global GDP, really, in something we haven't seen this sort of like incremental increase potential and in productivity in decades. So I think that's something that really could help increase the global economy. People are looking at those two things and saying well inflation's coming down we have this increased productivity that's going to be good things for the markets and i think that's really what what's getting priced in right i now. agree with
2: the increased productivity notion but that increase in productivity won't be seen for many years for i mean for a while i mean when yeah. i ask i you know out of lark when we have an economist and i always say are you factoring in this ai boom in terms of your productivity forecast and they're like no And that's and that's the problem, because
1: when when you look at someone who's an economist or a market participant, the market prices in six months to a year. An economist prices in what just happened. So you can't factor until it happens what really happened. But what I think the market is doing is Jerome Powell keeps talking about two more raises. He says it three times. That doesn't mean there's six more raises. It still (laughs) means there's two. Right, so the market keeps looking at this as every time he says it, we have to reprice it in again.
3: Do they I think they, the market reprices it in. Right, it reprices <laughs> it, you know. He's cried wolf, but he has done it. The actual, right. so he hasn't cried wolf, but he's telegraphed this as clearly as he can for months and months and months. So I think the market doesn't react to it anymore, it just looks past it. It's almost like, please, just do it already. Then we can get to the, yeah.
2: the pivot or the pause and we're okay or whatever. With NVIDIA mm-hmm. being where it is right? <laughs> you're, yes. you saying it. I mean, that's basically what the message that we're getting. Right. We're OK with where. NVIDIA right is,
3: is not a, uh, a Fed <laughs> an intro. And you know, what is the Fed going to do story?
1: Well, Thanks, growth so. stocks no, yeah, well, yeah. to growth. Is. Yeah. Growth stocks you're no? supposed to sell at a rising rate,
2: but we're coming to yeah, the yeah. end of that anyway.
3: I just think this is a very, it's a different animal. Because, at because the, you believe
2: in the, in the AI sort of the secular. The secular transformation
3: yeah. Yeah. in terms of where the money's made, I want to be in the picks and shovels. Right, And that's where NVIDIA is. All right.
2: For more on what a ban could mean for NVIDIA, let's bring in Susquehanna Financial Group's Christopher Rowland. He's a senior analyst who focuses on semiconductors. Chris, great to have you with us. How are you thinking about a potential ban, particularly um, when it comes to an NVIDIA that gave a very bullish forecast and is trading at a pretty high valuation?
6: Yeah, in our history and the history that we've seen from the government, when these kind of stories leak, they typically happen, uh, come to fruition some sometime in the next few weeks or months. So we are bracing for some sort of an impact here, which, you know, CFO Cress uh, for NVIDIA is out today saying it would be limited. Um, so that's how we're thinking about it
2: you buy that? I mean, so you, you're going to say we're going to take the CFOs uh, at, at his word and and believe that because wasn't the A800 chip the workaround chip that they developed to get around the ban on the A100, which was subject to the original ban in October?
6: That's right. Uh, so Colette originally talked about this being a $400 million impact um we never really saw that in the numbers the first time around when they switched to the 800. so we think sales in china are still very very robust there have been stories about smuggling other chips in with crates of live lobsters for example you can find those things uh (laughs) those stories out there uh on the internet we think sales into china are robust but given collects comments today what we think is that backlog for these products are tremendous right now. And so that if China's out of the loop here and they can't ship, someone else is stepping in. Uh, And so it tells us a little bit about demand here. It also probably tells us a little bit about supply, which we've been picking up in China uh, or in Asia, excuse me, uh, Mm -hmm. about some what's called co oss capacity uh, a, 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 a technique that's put into these AI chips and TSM may be limited in that COOS capacity going into the back half. So given limited supply and then demand coming from other places, we don't think this is gonna be a big problem.
3: So Chris, it's Karen, thanks for being on. What, who, who is going to fill that gap then? If the Nvidia doesn't need that business, could easily sell elsewhere, who's going to fill that gap?
6: It's going to come from US hyperscalers it's going to come from chat GPT copiers it's going to come from AI startups that want to put all this infrastructure in-house instead of using it on cloud um, it is coming from everywhere and it was really chat GPT last November that launched a thousand ships and uh, and so if 20 of those ships are gone uh, you know they, they, they don't belong to China they're going to be picked up elsewhere.
2: So if they're just picked up elsewhere that implies that there there was a supply constraint on these chips to begin with and they could actually sell a lot more except that they're only putting a certain amount i mean if you're if you're saying that if they don't sell to china these other guys are going to easily pick it up um i mean what does that tell you about this the dynamics of the market here
6: i think that's exactly what i'm telling you uh, is that backlog has ballooned has expanded uh over the past six to nine months And NVIDIA is now in a situation where it has limited supply, uh, particularly going into Q3, Q4. And so it, you know, this China situation might actually allow them to catch up with some of their, uh, their backlog from their other customers here.
2: And it puts China um, on the back foot in terms of competing in the AI, AI race overall as as well. But, Chris, I wanted to ask you because there's this notion that China, you, mean, you mentioned the lobsters, and there's a story, and I think it was PC Magazine, so it's not like just some like weird TikTok video going around about lobsters and, and chips, <laughs> about <laughs> these chips being smuggled, I think, from Hong Kong or into Hong Kong alongside crates of, of lobsters. Um, but there is also this notion that there had been over overs, not oversupply, but Um, pull forward they were stockpiling chips in china how do we know that that end markets in the united states are not stockpiling either
6: I, i doubt they're stockpiling in the united states they've certainly put in some orders there might even be some double orders there but the point that you brought up around china we absolutely agree with we saw this take place in the fpga market around 5g right before the u.s banned those fpga products we think china has been doing this they have been taking in supply over the past few months trying to stockpile these things because of exactly what we're talking about right now um so that is a small overhang but if you can't ship ship to china anyway at least nvidia got those shipments in earlier um that so that is how we're feeling about that
2: all right chris great to get your take thank you
6: Thank you, Melissa.
2: Chris Rollins, Susquehanna. Uh, Tim, what's your feeling about all this after speaking to Chris? Well,
5: well, uh, his, his notes were fascinating uh, coming into the show. He also just talked about how there's no efficient real workaround, but that even someone like Intel, um, at some point, benefits um, from from you know essentially uh, maxing out on CPU for some folks. Um, Chris's research report that came out after that Nvidia release back in the end of May was one of the great titles I've ever read. Like mm-hmm. something along the lines of greatest beat of all time, um, and and so to the extent that. Uh, I don't hear him backing off both the demand story and the next few quarters of visibility. Gross margins now go north of 70 percent for NVIDIA. Um, and again, the stocks move 100 bucks um, since that since that report. So, um, yeah, I mean, I I, think you know, the key, I, I,
2: I, I, I think he talked about this as a pre Cambrian moment in the chip industry when it comes to AI, which really <laughs> says a lot.
5: Yeah, I mean, look, I, I pre Cambrian um, takes me back to my my Latin studies, which you know <laughs> I was really only good at vocabulary, not translating. Um, but I, I, I think we have a, a, a case here where you really have to understand whether you're going to get that full um, kind of CapEx big out build out by the, the tech community to warrant the kind of move we've seen across the entire mega cap tech sector. And that's still open for debate. Right.
2: Coming up, a stream dream, investors binging on Netflix as analysts forecast more subscriber growth, where do they see the stock heading next. Plus, a picture-perfect call, Wells Fargo getting bullish on Pinterest as an Amazon deal comes into focus, how they expect it to boost the social stock's money-making power. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two.
7: The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX. The ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
8: Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. Netflix topping the tape today, jumping 3% after a bullish note from Oppenheimer. Analysts upping the price target by $50 to 500. Seeing mm. more growth potential as Netflix phases out its lowest price ad-free tier and continues cracking down on password sharing, $500. Agrasa, uh, what do you think?
1: So I was long this below 200. I sold it up $30, thought I hit the ball out of the park. And now, in hindsight, you look back. I, just, I, I think the last time I was on, we talked about Netflix. It's how much can they make off of cracking down on password sharing? So I know Tim and Karen have been bullish on it. I, I think it could move a little bit higher from here, but I think it's hitting a wall.
2: They're going to make it, but that's going to be continue. I mean, it's going to be recurring, right, in theory.
1: In theory, yeah. until someone actually has to pay for it and they've done the password crackdown and then you go somewhere else or decide you're not really watching enough of it. And I don't know how that really comes to, uh, comes to a
8: conclusion.
3: Well, the ad tiering that as well has really been, really been, I guess, overperforming what they thought it would. I think there was a fear that there would be a cannibalization of other subscribers trading down, and that's not what's happening. They're just seeing additional subscribers, and so they get that that revenue that they don't have, that marginal revenue, plus they get the advertising revenue, and the more eyeballs. higher their advertising revenue is going to be so they got a lot of great things going even though you know Tim always likes to talk about it seemed like they were playing defense but now it's offense again and then there's this sort of macro picture of what I think of the day of reckoning in the streaming space right so many competitors they're not clearly money is no longer free Uh and so I think we're going to see consolidation which ultimately I think is good for Netflix yeah Tim
5: well, and that head start that Netflix had that, that I, I frankly didn't appreciate for you know, a big part of it um, is, is what has allowed them to actually now start to generate free cash flow. Then there's some other little things you can layer in in terms of a writer strike and dynamics that really favor uh, both their content slate and just the, the ability of them to outperform. Um, you, you get back to what's truly happening now with the quote-unquote borrowers of the service. J.P. Morgan, in a note a, a few weeks ago, said that they'll monetize about 13 or 14 million in 23. They'll monetize uh, 24 million in 24, and they'll monetize uh, 33 million in 25. So, you know, that, that's that's about 67 or 68 million. I, I forgot what I was just counting up there. Uh, at 68 million out of 100 million. Um, that, that is accretive. That is an aggregate building upon itself for a company that's just starting to get into free cash flow and will probably be north of 7 billion soon. So um, that's that's to me the story. I, I, I'm you know, I'm, I'm having a little trouble being as as bullish as I was. Um, and in fact, I've sold one third of that position. And, and I think I might slowly be taking a little bit more of it off, although it's not because there's any, uh, I think, breakdown in this story. Mm-hmm.
2: There's a lot more fast money to come. Here's what's coming up next.
7: Picture this, Pinterest surging by nearly 30%. That's the call from one analyst getting bullish on the name. The details next. Plus, we're all stressed, and banks have really been feeling the pressure. The group out with its first set of stress test results since the collapse of SBB. But our next guest says he's still constructive on the space. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square.
9: Learn more at comcast.com slash project up.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. Pinterest shares popping after Wells Fargo upgraded the stock to an overweight from equal weight, boosting its price target to $34 a share. That's just about 20% upside from where the stock closed today. The analyst writing that the company's partnership with Amazon set to kick off in October will be a key force in driving monetization, an area in which Pinterest has previously struggled. Courtney, are you on board the uh, Pinterest train?
4: Yeah, I, I understand the upgrade. I think they really do have a lot of potential when you look at international. Um, Gen Z has actually been their, their largest um, increase in customers, and I think there's a lot of potential there. But they do need to monetize it. This can't just be another social media site. It needs to be somewhere where you can actually buy the things you were looking for. Um, and I think this does bring that to it. It's still not a cheap stock, and I think that's kind of my, my trouble with it. Um, so, yes, it could have some short-term upside because clearly these markets don't care about expensive stocks right now. Um, but, you know, I would be a little hesitant for that reason.
1: I, gr- I agree with the premise. And when you look at that... St- the stock chart that you're showing on the screen right now actually looks like a pretty impressive performance on the name if you drill back and you go a year or three years back the chart is a mess Mm -hmm. and i think it's just we're reaping the benefits of maybe the rate rising environment is over maybe you're buying a little riskier then you have the amazon headline so everyone gets excited again so i agree with the premise but I think it's going to only last for so long until they actually start seeing some visibility on some of the numbers that they're actually projecting or going to take place.
2: Aaron.
3: Yeah, it's not for me. I mean, you know, the it's expensive. The balance sheet's in great, great shape, so it's actually a little bit cheaper than the stock appears because they do have a lot of cash. but. I'd much rather, I know you didn't ask me what would I rather, oh. okay, but I for you oh. okay. Well you did it rather earlier. But anyway, I would much rather be in a meta or in a Google that is in a related space mm-hmm. for almost half the PE.
2: And AI. And AI Pixie Dust. So you've got that. <laughs> <laughs> Can't lose with that, right? All right, coming up. All eyes on banks after the latest stress test results, and our next guest says the group is gearing up for a snowstorm to hit. He'll explain next. Plus, Just do it with options. We're lacing up our Nike earnings with results due out tomorrow. The option strategy ahead of the report when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Stocks closing mix with just two trading days left in the first half. The Dow dropping about 70 points, its seventh negative session in eight. The S&P virtually flat, but the Nasdaq capturing a small gain, up nearly three-tenths of one percent. And President Biden speaking today about his economic plan, saying bringing down inflation remains a top priority. The president saying he is determined to change the economic direction of the country and to move away from trickle-down economics. Some core aspects of the so-called Bidenomics plan include investments in infrastructure, semiconductors, clean energy, and climate security. Meantime, some big bank stocks rallying after 24, uh, after hours. Uh, all 23 names in the Fed's annual stress test passed a severe recession scenario. The results coming out just about an hour ago. The Fed saying the U.S. banking system remains strong and resilient. It's the central bank's first stress test since the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. Let's break down the report with Chris Marinac, the head of research at January Montgomery Scott. Chris, always great to speak with you. Thank you. Um, So it wasn't just a severe recession that was tested, but also 40% decline in commercial real estate values. And so I'm wondering if you think that, that this test really gives you sort of the green light here.
10: Well, it does give a green light that the banks are secure and the banks have plenty of cash flow to cover the issues that are out there. And cash flow or PPNR is really the key for the industry, because as you look at the next two and a half, three years, whatever issues we have, I think the weather will change. We will have uh, colder weather, snowstorms that will occur on credit, but banks can handle it uh, with the uh, both capital as well as the operating earnings or PPNR that they have. So it just confirms what we thought was out there. From an investor standpoint, the stocks are really cheap. We've seen expectations for earnings and cash flow come down about 15% at most year to date, and the stocks are down 30%. So I think it's been an overreaction uh, several months in the making now it's time to see some reversal. So we're in a trading range, but I think we can have better valuations ahead for these stocks.
2: You say the stocks, and of course that's a big swath of different kinds of banks, Chris. So which ones are the best values right now in your view?
10: Well, the regional banks have the best liquidity, and they have been the, the area of most concern. So if you look at a fifth, third bank, uh, a trust bank, uh, we like PacWest as a comeback. The company is uh, not failed and is, is now Uh, Selling assets and improving their position significantly, and that's a comeback story. Uh, We still like uh, stories of of a mid-cap name like an Ocean First OCFC, a a Maris uh, ABCB, and then there are many others um, in that uh, mid-cap and and even large regional bank arena. Most of these companies are profitable. They may have lower expectations because of debt interest margins, which is, I think, the key uh, pain point for companies right now. But overall, they're still very healthy, which the stress test simply just reinforced. And I think as that get apply, it gets applied to other uh, banks on down the size the chain, you will see that the same results occur. They all pass the stress test that happened for those companies.
3: Chris, it's Karen. So let me ask you where we have sort of a, a tale of two cities in the banking world. We've got, you know, the JP Morgans of the world and then the regionals. Do you, I would think we have to see meaningful consolidation to be able to leverage the balance sheet, leverage the technology costs. Um, How quickly do you think we'll see that landscape change in fewer banks?
10: I think it'll take three or four years, Karen. I really think that the inside of the Fed, particularly the bowels of the examiners who really control how fast deals get approved, they're not in a hurry to approve mergers. I mean, we may see changes from Treasury and Fed in terms of talking about adopting consolidation, but the real folks who approve deals, are just not in a hurry to do them. So I think it's gonna take a couple of years for that to happen. But along the way, the banks are gonna still make money. I think you'll see them recognize the problems. You know, this quarter coming up will have a lot of reserve building, extra provision expense. That's probably why the estimates have to come down a little bit, but the stocks really have reflected that for several weeks.
2: Chris, I want, we're just putting up the criteria for the stress tests in terms of what the, you know, the hurdles the, bank, the banks have to clear. And I'm wondering, you know, and maybe this is too technical, I'm, I'm just curious how these tests are implemented. Is it today you have this balance sheet, we're going to enact these, uh, you know, this change in your world for banks and, and that's it? Or is there a time built in for the banks to adjust? Is it an sure. overnight kind of thing, you know, employment piece at 10 percent tomorrow?
10: sure it's a nine quarter process where you change the economic scenarios you have both stock prices and real estate prices fall about 40 percent and then you have nine quarters to kind of implement um, those changes and sort of accept if you will in terms of writing off the problems that you have so that's the issue it's not a shock which of course did happen in real life in march when you had a shock to the system with the, the the two and then three banks that failed and perhaps adding a shock analysis would be better um, commentary from the Fed, and we may get there eventually. But that's not what this is. And of course, the other flaw to your to your question, I think, is also that interest rates fall in this scenario, which really unlocks a lot of the unrealized losses that are mm-hmm. in bank securities portfolios. So that's a key reason why the the stress test, you know, does have its its flaws. But it, you know, the time frame is a nine quarter
7: look.
2: Right. And so if you had to, if the Fed say, hey, Chris, what, what do you want to change about the stress test? What other criteria do you want to put in? Would it be that it should be less than nine quarters? I mean, we've seen interest rates move very quickly. The volatility in interest rates is much greater than equities. Um, that seems to be a major flaw in this, particularly coming off of the bank crisis we saw in March.
10: Well, that's correct. I mean, you certainly could make it much more of a six-month or, or a three-month process to see how banks adapt to a sudden shift in interest rates. Of course, we've seen that over about five quarters with what the Fed's done from March to to now almost July. I think from an earned standpoint of how long it takes companies to recognize credit problems, it does take longer than a few quarters. And again, I think a two to three year time frame is fine for that. But the shock analysis really needs to be a shorter time. So I think that's a great point.
2: Chris, thanks for your thoughts. Thanks. Appreciate it. Chris Marinak, Jenny Montgomery. Um, Tim, what do you think? You feel better about banks after this stress test? They all passed.
5: Well, by the way, there's no, no shock in that really tranquil, peaceful uh, picture, watercolor behind Chris. I, it really, as we're talking about Very all common. the fears out there, it, it, deep, yeah, deep breath here. Um, I, look, Chris, Chris sounded about as bullish as he can be here when you combine balance sheets and, and you talk about credit issues that, that at least are measured. And, and where banks are still making money and, and that, you know, especially in an environment where uh, even there is interest rate volatility and there's lower NIMS. So uh, I, I am a believer in that. And in fact, I even own the KRE from around half ish, you know, uh, three weeks ago. Um, and, and it could trade lower. But I, I, I think that's it's a great place to have uh, the diversification of an ETF. But I I you know, he's pointed out, Karen's pointed out, I mean, J.P. Morgan, uh, that first Republic acquisition was was huge. And, and, and so the big got bigger. Um, some aren't trading so well, and clearly Bank of America's an outlier in terms of uh, those few. But Bank of America, Citi, and JP uh, are the, the the kind of the barbell that I carry. And, and I like banks here, uh, at least until we get a little bit more information on credit.
2: You like banks, you like JP Morgan in particular, but <laughs> when it comes to the stress test count, we were chatting about this in the green room, I know. Isn't it crazy? That's the stuff we chat about in the green. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or in their car ride home. I mean, this is right. what we do. This is, this what, is what we, like we do. Talk about. Yeah. Um, I was asking you, what would you add to the stress test?
3: And one thing
2: I thought was, and it may be in there, um,
3: a very severe security breach, a hack. Yep. Billions lost
2: or, or hundreds. of. I mean, right. what that's happens?
3: a disaster scenario.
2: And I don't know if that's in there. I will find out. Right. But do you like these stress tests, Courtney? I mean, do you feel good about, you know, potentially buying into regionals, for instance, where Chris finds value? Um, I do like
4: the banks here just because I do think there's been kind of an overreaction to, you know, the fears of what's going to happen with a banking crisis. Um, I think the stress test themselves is really just kind of the start of it because there could still be additional regulations where they do need to keep more money on their balance sheets, which likely probably won't affect dividends, but it might affect buybacks, So it could still affect the returns on some of these banks going forward. So we need to see how the banks are going to respond to this and what they're doing with their balance sheets moving forward. So I don't think it's the end of the story yet. I do still like the banks here, um, but I think as you're seeing people hold their breath waiting for that news, it's probably a better time to get into it.
2: Coming up, will Nike stock swoosh higher after Oof. tomorrow? We're looking ahead to that report and how options traders are playing the name. The details when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Nike shares limping off the starting line today, despite J.P. Morgan reiterating its overweight call on the stock ahead of tomorrow's earnings report. Options traders are betting this consumer name could be due for a spell on the sidelines. Kelly Intelligence CEO Kevin Kelly's got the action. Hey, Kevin.
1: Hi, Melissa. Well, today you actually saw the put call ratio come down from about one and a half to ending the day about 1.16% or 1.16 times. And that's interesting because tomorrow's move is anticipated to be about 6.4% uh, for the stock. And that's about 2% below its historical average. And today, the mo- one of the most active contracts you saw was the 100 strike put that Uh, expires in two days and we saw at the end of the day over 5,000 of those contracts traded and they closed around 28
2: cents all right Kevin thanks Kevin Kelly Uh, Tim how are you feeling about Nike
5: well I I think there's been a major correction in inventory I think they've done a admirable job on limiting promotions they have said they're going to limit uh, promotions wholesale is going to contract uh on this fiscal uh q423 number and 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 that's kind of the story i mean us is going to grow you know four percent emia five china ten um i i just think this one's not going to get away from me on the upside i think it's a great company uh but i remain short
2: tim uh sorry steve got a quick
1: Um, tim Tim has a better feel for nike if i look at the chart it looks like there there still has some upside potential last time i said Skechers, that trade did not work for the record but it seems like it's actually basing here and guy had a very good comeback he said Skechers, don't do it
2: (laughs) (laughs) more options action be sure to tune into the full show friday 5 30 pm eastern time coming up are europeans hotter than americans we're talking about tech of course (laughs) how some currency moves are creating overseas opportunities in the sector. More on that when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Central bankers at the ECB Forum in Sintra, Portugal today broadly reaffirming their hawkish outlooks on rates. But looser monetary conditions in Japan have pushed the yen to seven-month lows against the dollar. Our next guest calls the moves in the yen a runaway devaluation but sees a tech trading opportunity here in the weakness. Ben Emmons is a senior portfolio manager and head of fixed income at New Edge Wealth. Ben, great to have you with us. Thanks for coming in. Um, So we haven't, I mean, yen carry trade, that's what's fueling AI here?
9: I think it's part of the risk taking you know no, it's a traditional trade you know, people borrowing yen take that money and go out and take risk and so when you go back in the say 20 30 years ago with LTCM that was one of those key trades that was unwound and became a revelation of yeah Japan will stay at zero and stays at zero And you know, even today as Sarahs trying to ask him about like what you do next still staying at zero or negative so that is that cheap money that's there you know even though that elsewhere money has got a lot more expensive, so if, you, if you call it that way. So it feels risk-taking. I think this yen-carry trade, being now larger and larger, is something we need to watch.
2: It feels like then, as long as the yen remains weak, this carry trade could, in fact, continue. And so what could Ueda do to stem this weakness? I mean, intervention historically does not work, at least for sustained periods of time, maybe just temporarily. So, I mean, what would need to happen for this trade to end?
9: Yeah, the line in the sand is the difficult one. You know, traders look at 145 to 150 to the dollar. There were some statements out from, from officials in Japan that were monitoring it, way down on the panel. Says too, we're carefully monitoring it. But that verbal intervention, that doesn't do much. So it does come down to two things, I think. One, Japan does succeed and gets its inflation to 2%, and the Bank of Japan can start unwinding that, that y, YCC, yoke of control. Mm-hmm. Or the other, the other turn is that the Federal Reserve does top out with rates and reverses. That latter, I think, is not yet happening, right? I mean, Powell was pretty clear on the panel, like, we have more to go, and the market starts to price that in again. So the yen is sitting here weak until we're getting another sort of, like, verbal or actual intervention. Right. And, you know, that's a lot of tension.
2: So, I mean, I, to me, like, when I hear this, I, I think of it in a couple of ways. One is that um, maybe this AI trade, will last even longer as long as the yen is weak. And yet you say that there will be a rotation out of U.S. tech into European or Asian tech. What causes that rotation when you can borrow yen so cheaply and remain in this AI trade, which seems to have momentum?
9: Yeah, fair point in the sense that, yes, you could continue with this yen-US trade, so to speak. But if you then look at Euro-yen, you know, that's even more out of control That's even more moving up. And that's really because the ECB is even more of a trajectory to tighten. So if you think of it from a currency perspective that way, and then you start looking at European tech, and that's a bit different sort of sector than we have in the US, but it's an interesting one because there's companies like back home where I'm from, in the Netherlands, where you have, you know, a company that dominates the supply chain in tech, you know, ASML mm-hmm. is the a, is a company that generates machines that allow you to build chips and so their companies you know i think about 32 35 forward multiple but it's actually trading cheaper than nvidia and others and it's actually lagged on the year so it's an interesting idea i think in terms of euro yen versus this eurotech
3: so let me ask you something i think i'm about to learn something the <laughs> the Nikkei is up a lot this year up 27 plus but adjusted for currency up i don't know 15 16 maybe isn't that a lot of money going into the Nikkei and going into, do do most of those, do they buy them in dollars, they buy them in euros? I mean, you first have to buy it in yen and then keep it in yen or convert it to something else. Does that counterbalance what you're saying?
9: Maybe to an extent, Karen, but I think that this traditional idea of like yen hedging, as in, I used to do this in portfolios, buying Japanese T-bills, hedging back to dollars, or in this case, you're saying you're buying Japanese stocks, but you hedge it back to dollars because you don't want the currency risk probably done a lot by fund managers who are wanting to allocate to Japanese stocks. I think the weakness of the yen is really driven by this, what we saw play out in the panel today. They stick with this policy. They want to get to this 2 percent inflation. They're not giving up on that goal. So it's going to drive the yen even weaker, right? Even though, as you're saying, like, yes, there's money coming into Japan, which should lead to yen buying. Tim's got a question. Ben,
5: this is Tim. it sounds yeah hi it sounds like this is more about uh, international investing and rotation as a function of a very long secular shift of what's happened over the last 5 to 10 years into tech, and that European multinationals uh, and Asian multinationals are really attractive here because, in fact, uh, the best days of allocating to seven or eight tech stocks are largely behind us. I mean, my my view is that we will never see, we'll look back in history and see 30% of the S&P in these companies and say, it's not going to happen again. And I'm just curious, isn't that really the core thesis? Because I believe the international story is happening.
9: Totally, Tim. I think that you're right. Like, I mean, there there is this one, relative valuation between tech in here and, and overseas or other industries. Two, there is this notion that the dollar slowly weakening, but those currencies, in this case, euro strengthening, that's actually a double return. Right? You, you would actually make a double wham, as I call it. You're getting better multiple price stocks plus the currency return. So, yes, it's, it's, an, it's a good story, international.
2: Ben, thanks for coming by. Really interesting stuff. Ben Emmons. Thank you. Steve?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's difficult. Uh, Ben is a savvy investor, and Ben knows that space. It's difficult for the average retail investor to really make that trade happen. But if you think if
2: you think that the AI trade is coming to an end for other external factors, other than just it's easy to play that
1: direct AI AI trade. Uh, Unfortunately, for the AI thing, it's whack a mole. There's plenty of reasons to be buying AI. There's a couple of reasons why, why it might not extend, but there's too many reasons why it will.
2: Up next, final trades. Time for the final trade, Tim.
5: Let's try this again. Um, JP Morgan, one of Chris's main points is they're not gonna be cutting the dividend, and I think JP Morgan certainly benefits from that as well.
2: Karen?
3: yes um just in terms of banks that trade poorly because of fear about regulation and capital morgan stanley i think some bad basel capital requirements are baked in
4: courtney um on the same theme here actually i was going to pick one of the banks so kve the banking index really you you want the the broad helm here but i think they're they're um, underrated right now i would take your opportunity steve
1: i actually had bad uh, basel in a restaurant in the city once (laughs) terrible rivian about to make a move it's been a bad trade but i think it's bouncing substantially
2: All right, CNBC special taking stock with Mike Santoli starts right now. ...warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer.
8: What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration...